The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Welcome into the Jason Barrett Podcast, episode number three. I am Jason Barrett. Thank you for making time to check out the podcast. Hopefully by now you've had a chance to check out our first two episodes. For this third episode, I want to turn the attention to the on-air talent. My guest today is Dave LaGreca. Dave is the host of Busted Open, which can be heard on SiriusXM Channel 156, Fight Nation. He works alongside pro wrestlers Mark Henry, Tommy Dreamer, and Bully Ray. It's a highly entertaining program, and I'm thrilled we could connect with Dave because this is a subject I have history with. You'll hear more about that in the interview, but earlier in my career, I hosted a wrestling show called No Holds Barred when I was building my career on the air. We used to land a lot of big guests, break news, broadcast live from WrestleMania, had a magazine partnership in the UK, and that show ultimately helped me open the door to go to work for ESPN Radio. But wrestling radio shows back then were largely ignored. Now, though, thanks to the growth of the internet, podcasting, and mainstream coverage on television, these shows are popular and very successful. Just log on to iTunes And look at the sports podcast category. You're going to find shows with Chris Jericho, Ric Flair, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You've got big brands like Barstool, ESPN with Peter Rosenberg's Cheap Heat, and the WWE all producing wrestling audio content. Now, some mainstream media folks are quick to dismiss wrestling because they don't personally like or value the content. But if you put aside those personal biases and just look at the data, Fans consume this content from start to finish, and they're consistently loyal. It's why Fox, NBC, Turner, and others are spending big money to broadcast it. We'll get into that more in just a bit with Dave LaGreca. But as I like to do each episode, I want to start with this week's edition of What I've Seen or Heard. And with football season less than a month away, I thought a conversation about paid contributors was timely and important. Attention! Attention! Have I got your attention now? Each year at this time, sports radio decision makers are dialing up agents, talking to their talent, and selling their GMs and CEOs on why it's vital to spend money for big football guests. I had a conversation this week with a programmer who was frustrated because he wasn't getting his normal ammunition for the fall, and it got my wheels spinning. Everyone wants to end the year with a bang. Football is the biggest driver of attention among pro and college sports. Fourth quarter is when advertisers set budgets for the following year. And the rationale is that by lining up notable people on set days and times, the ratings will increase, which will then help the station win and ultimately make more money. But are paid contributors vital to success? When I programmed, I thought they were. A big part of success in PPM comes from setting appointments. 
and you can drive tune-ins, attach clients, and create an impression that your brand has unmatched access to the biggest and best newsmakers in football, which of course matters to folks in the programming department. But if you take off your programming hat and look at it from a business standpoint, spending six figures on guests, though nice, is not critical to win. There's a difference between a game-changing weekly call, like Pat McAfee's weekly chats with Aaron Rodgers, and regular discussions with familiar football guests. If you have great talent on the air, the right play-by-play partnerships, and strong producers who can land notable guests on a timely basis, that should be enough to win. Having seen it from the inside and outside of a building, let me explain why it matters to talent and programmers and what I think programmers have to do to get others above them excited. First, if you want great talent to be their best and stay with you, you have to deliver reinforcements. When you get them exclusive access to someone who will create buzz and put more ears on their show, they of course get excited and they remember that their bosses and company gave them the tools needed to win. But let me tell you what I see a lot. PDs are so set on getting a paid guest on the air for 10 minutes that they leave a ton on the negotiating table. Did you ask for signed merch? One or two voiced commercials for the client who sponsors the call-in? A social media takeover to chat with your audience? A paid public appearance at a client's business? An on-the-field meet-and-greet? A custom t-shirt that the station can sell? If not, why not? Too many times I've heard of deals being done that come with no additional perks, and it limits the company's ability to monetize the opportunity. I'm going to give you an example going back into my programming career. In 2009, when I programmed 101 ESPN in St. Louis, we landed the Rams rights. The prior rights holder did a few ancillary one-hour shows outside of primetime, and they cost a lot. So I'm looking at these deals, and I'm thinking, How am I going to make this work? It made no business sense. I'm going to use different numbers to avoid any headaches. So let's just say the player got $51,000 for 17 weeks for a one-hour show on location on a Thursday night at 7 o'clock. That's about $3,000 a week. The player then has to drive to and from that event, deal with the public for an hour or longer, And it occurs after practice and a few days before a game, not ideal for the individual. From the station side, a 7 p.m. show doesn't help us in prime time. It's also expensive, and it's harder to sell because bars and restaurants usually do okay at night, not as well during the day. I put 60 minutes into 3K, which came out to $50 a minute. I factored in the player having to spend 30 to 60 minutes of time each week traveling to and from the event, plus dealing with the public and signing 50 to 100 pieces at each show. I went back to the agent, told them this deal wasn't really about money as much as it is about eliminating unnecessary distractions. Yes, the money was going to be lower, but the time commitment would be as well. I said I'd want to buy 10 of the 60 minutes at $50 a minute, do the call-in in afternoons, eliminate the player's travel to and from events and having to deal with the public. But to keep fans happy, I wanted to have 50 pieces signed and two in-person events created. After a little bit of negotiating, we got the 10 minutes at the suggested rate, got our 50 pieces, 
but the two in-person events became inside the building events, which we then used to record a social media video and to arrange a private meet and greet with a client. I also hooked up the player with a restaurant gift certificate to his favorite place to take his wife out, so there would be a good feeling on both sides. A deal that on paper was over 50K, got done at less than 10K, got the station stronger in prime time, eliminated a lot of headaches for the player, and we all still made money. If you handle negotiations for a brand, you have to ask for more than a phone call, and you have to look at it from both sides. If you can't make it easy for the contributor and deliver enough value back to your company to grow revenue, then why are you doing it? Is the individual truly important for increasing tune-ins and dollars, or are you just spending money to keep a host happy or take care of someone that you know or like? I could go on and on. I've got tons of these examples, but the bottom line is this. You have to get creative. You have to ask for more. You have to really examine, is this appointment a game changer, or are we just doing it for the sake of doing it? And most importantly, ask yourself this. If I ran this company and this was my bank account, would I support spending this or could I live without it? Well done, sir. If you have a comment or question about paid contributors, you can always reach out by email, Barrett at sportsradiopd.com. But now it's time for this week's conversation, and it takes place with Busted Open's Dave LaGreca. Whether you like pro wrestling or not, There are a few things in here to learn that I think you're going to find interesting, and I'm really excited to bring you that chat right now. Yo, listen! All right, Dave, we'll get into some pro wrestling talk later in the conversation, but I want to go back to the beginning because it's not like the job description exists inside most radio companies. Pro wrestling host wanted full-time job, right? (laughs) So... What was the early part of the media story like in your world? Well, I've uh, I've kind of been everywhere, which is probably the stock answer by everybody you talk to who's involved in radio. Uh, But I interned at WFAN. I worked at WFAN. I worked for ESPN radio. I worked for NHL radio. Um, And then, you know, I always tell everybody that I speak to, make sure you network and make sure you keep relationships going because it was my relationship with Steve Cohen at WFAN, which led me to get a job with NFL radio in 2004 with Cohen. So I was a producer for the morning show and I've always pushed a pro wrestling show. I thought it would be the perfect uh, outlet Sirius XM for a pro wrestling show. And it was myself and Doug Mortman were the original two. Uh, We hosted the show for, over seven years uh, on Sirius XM until it really went to another platform and got bigger and everything. But it wasn't, it's, it's a tough road. It was, it wasn't an easy (laughs) road. Like, you know, it started once a week for an hour then twice a week then three times a week. And now it's, it's pretty much on seven days a week. So uh, it's, it's awesome. And you know, what's interesting about that, Dave is, you know, I tell this to people all the time who like pro wrestling, these audio shows, have been a hidden gem for decades. Like if you go back to the late nineties, you, you probably remember the one wrestling.com days when PW yep. insider was coming around. But what's interesting, you've got the company now to invest in three pro wrestlers on the show, not to mention the things you guys do going on the road. 
How were you able to convince them that not only was this not just a little niche show, but this could be a five day a week show worth putting some money into? Because that's what separates the show now from what I think, you know, the rest of the pack. It's it's seen as a main part of Fight Nation. Well, um, it's nothing I said. It's it's the listenership. It's our busted open nation. Uh, what really got us to open up the doors to let guys like Mark Henry and Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer in is just our listenership. Mere numbers. Like it got to the point where they couldn't ignore us anymore. And they had to give us some attention and had to throw some money our way. Um, as you probably know, Jason, you know, pro wrestling doesn't get a lot of mainstream respect. And, right. and it's, no, it's no different in the world of media. Uh, it seems like a no brainer, but you know, a lot of people that you deal with are, are sticking balls guys, you know, they're, they're baseball, football, basketball. So when you say pro wrestling, it just doesn't click with them, but the numbers, the listenership just growing and growing with each passing year, it, they just couldn't ignore it. So it was, it was, it wasn't anything that I said, it was definitely because of our busted open nation. You had to win over, obviously, get corporate behind this. And obviously, when they see the passion of the fan base, they've got a reason to respond. But also, you know, I, I you probably went through this in sports media, sports radio, and they're working with a fan. They look at, man, what the hell do you know? You haven't been around this forever. You weren't on the field doing two-a-days. You, you know, in pro wrestling, these guys take this stuff seriously, too. You've got Bubba, Tommy, Mark. These guys are accomplished Hall of Fame talent. How were you able to get those guys to buy in and literally elevate you to be on their level? Well, well, nothing was on accident. You know, Doug and I sat and talked to Mark Henry at WrestleMania 32 before he retired, just to gauge an interest, just to see if this is something he might want to do once he stepped away from wrestling. Uh, Tommy and Bully were fans of the show. They were frequent guests. So I knew I had their respect. Plus, Bully and I would have actual arguments over the phone and i was like boy this would work on air plus you know what jason i never overstep my bounds i make it very clear and i i always say it on the air i i'm not a wrestler i've never stepped in the ring and actually wrestled i'm also no disrespect i'm not a dave Meltzer. i'm not a quote-unquote wrestling journalist i'm a talk show host who's a fan Mm -hmm. So I've, I've always recognized my role. I've never overstepped my bounds. And I think by doing that, I've shown my respect to what they do. And so they respect what I do. You know, it's interesting. I was at the Super Bowl in February and I see Steve Cohen, who I love. I've known him for a long time. And uh, we were just mixing it up. And uh, I said, so when I listen to your company, where do you think I start? And he's, it's got to be Mad Dog Radio said, well, that's option three. I love Mad Dog, but that's where I go third. And I hit him with Octane, which I love. I think it's a great channel. And then I said, bust it open. And he's like, bust it open. I, I knew you liked wrestling, but I didn't think you were. He's like, why do you like it? And I said, well, to me, what makes that show work is that it's, a, it's literally the equivalent of a morning show. Talk just happens to be built around pro wrestling content. You know, you talk about the different roles, the characters. You guys get top-notch interviews. It's a fun show. I mean, I was watching a social clip of you dancing in the background, you know, before we were uh, getting ready to have this conversation. And I want to take you back because what's interesting is the show has always had this ability to know when to add and get stronger. And I don't even know if you know this. In April of 2017, 
I have a call with Tommy Dreamer. He calls, says, I want to get into sports media. Uh, he tells me he auditioned with SNY. Something, I don't know, they didn't give him a gig. And I said, you need to be at Sirius. I said, look, you've got the credibility wow. with pro wrestling. That, you know, they're going to see as a value. Now, maybe if you build a relationship, maybe Steve will throw you a bone here or there, right? So he's in your studio. It's April 17th. He shoots me a text. He says, hey, I'm doing Busted Open today. Would love to talk to these guys. I hit Cohen with a text. I go, you got to do me a favor. You got to meet this guy. This guy's entertaining. I, I know he'll be good on the air. They hit it off. You hit it off. But all that being said, you know, eventually October of that year, you guys sign him. When did you know the show needed more firepower to add to it? Or was this a Cohen thing? Well, I, I think and, and obviously Cohen I, is somebody who, you know, I respect as well. I, I look at him almost as my radio father. And for better or for worse, I always kind of look for his approval. Um, so and sometimes that's gratifying and sometimes that's frustrating as well. But <laughs> because he gets it, but he doesn't yes. get it. And, yes. You know, um, but but I love him. But uh, and so, yeah, he you know, he was somebody that was definitely behind uh, having Tommy involved because he really liked Tommy because Tommy did some work on our fantasy channel. Yep. And he really liked him on the fantasy channel. But I, I knew Jason as podcasting was growing because when we first started the show, wrestling podcast wasn't really a, a thing just yet. Um, it didn't really blow up until after we had already started. So we kind of had to keep up and, and we had to be competitive. And we, had, we understood what the field was like at that time. So we had to compete. So I knew we had to take it to that next step. And, you know, and I'm sure you know this, Jason, if you're in, you got to be in a hundred percent. It can't just be something that you just want to do as a hobby. So those people who just wanted to do it short term, that wasn't the people that I wanted involved in the show. It's people that I knew had goals that were similar to mine that wanted to see this product grow and flourish, but it was really understanding where podcasting was going. And we had to be above that being national radio being yep. on Sirius XM, we had to we had to step up our game. And, and probably about six years ago is when we started to begin to really take it to that next level. You look on the iTunes charts today. I mean, wrestling shows, you type in sports, they dominate the field. Um, I remember I was at a podcast movement conference a few years ago, and Bruce Pritchard was talking about when him and Conrad launched the Something to Wrestle. Um, they were told, don't do a three-hour show. No one's going to listen to it. He ignored the advice and people would listen to it. And you were talking before about how the Fight Nation, the Busted Open Nation audience ultimately elevated this show and really forced Sirius's hands to say, hey, we've got something here. This is a hit. What makes these fans so loyal? Like these folks will listen anywhere between one and three hours consistently and they go out of their way to find it. What makes them so loyal in your eyes? I think it's just um, the dynamic. I think you have the Hall of Famers and you have the icons. That's their heroes. And be able to hear like Mark Henry joke around on the show and talk about food or Bully talk about music and, you know, Tommy and now Thunder Rosa and Mickey James. Like these are people they idolized on TV. And now they actually get to understand who they are as a person. And then again, the dynamic I bring just as a fan and I have no problems talking about my personal life, making fun of myself. I think I think fans 
appreciate that. They feel like they're a part of our family. Yeah, they know you. Yeah, and and I I try to make everybody who's involved in the show, producers, APs, they're part of the show as well. You know, and it, like when I see somebody with a Gabby sign in 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 the audience or a Mike the Video Guy, it's like that's such a win for us because they're such a big part of the show behind the scenes. But I love bringing them to the forefront so right. they're a part of the show. And I, there's going to be somebody on the show that everybody can identify with, and and that's and that's the key. You had this epic rant where you're talking about zombies and Vince McMahon yeah. and not loving pro wrestling, right? And I'm thinking to myself when I'm when I'm going back and I'm checking it out, I'm like, okay, so you're working on a show with Mark, Bubba, Tommy. You've got Thunder Rosa, Mickey James. All these people are connected to this business, and you obviously want access. You know, you guys get some top notch people. And, but you know how these wrestling companies can be at times. If they don't like something, they could say, you know what? No longer does Busted Open get guests. So how do you walk that line, being able to be the voice of the fan, be critical of a product, especially with like, you know, in Thunder Rosa's case, she's working with AEW. If you're on a segment and you're talking about AEW dropped the ball on programming this week, Tony might say to her backstage, you know, do me a favor, get LeGreca to lighten up the next time and uh, give us some props. So how do you balance it? It's it, you, you can't think about it. You know, you have to you kind of have to block it. They're, like Tony Khan is somebody who comes on with us once a week. So right away, fans will be like, ah, you know, you're on Tony Khan's payroll. You're an AEW. Well, I am an AEW fan, but at the same time, I'm not afraid to be critical of AEW. Uh, WWE, I'll be critical of a Monday Night Raw, but I, I, I can love a SmackDown or a pay-per-view. And, and I'm actually very excited about the WWE's new direction. So I, I, I feel like if you're just yourself and you don't get involved in the political game, eventually they'll understand that. There's ebbs and flows. There's, there's times the companies are very, very good to us, and there's times that they ignore us. That, that that happens in any kind of sport. So I, as long as we do what we do and we're ourselves, I'm not too worried about it. I connect to this kind of content because early in my career, I was where you were. I was producing. I was doing local shows. I used to do a wrestling show. And this is back when the Internet was, you know, a big deal. And it's the reason I got to ESPN. I wound up pitching it for national syndication. Couldn't believe Bruce Gilbert actually critiqued the damn show. And I was like, Look, I work in sports, even though I love wrestling. I just want to be on your radar for sports. Next thing you know, I'm doing that. When I was doing the show, I did a show, No Holds Barred, from 98 to 2003. I did the interview with Sean Stasiak, where he tells the whole world that he and 23 other WCW guys will be at WrestleMania, which Vince then changed history. I'm like sitting there like, you just killed the best potential angle <laughs> that we could have ever had. And it literally happened on my damn show. Amazing. But, but I'm, I'm telling you this for a reason. When I did that show, I would work on, I went from a small station to a 50,000 watt rock station. And the show was up 150% in the ratings. And yet, inside my building, no one gave a damn that the show was on. I made more money with the wrestling show than I did with producing the morning show because I had things coming through the web. But when I did that show, I would sit there. I'm like, you know, here we are doing all the right things. The audience is coming, but no one respects me in this building for this show. And at some point, that's changed over time. Why do you think that is? What changed that made it accepted? You know, it's funny, as you're saying that, Jason, I saw like a picture on the Internet recently where it showed like 
Metallica in 2022 and shows everybody like partying and smiles on their faces. And then Metallica in 1986 and just the people staring with a, like a blank stare, you know, because I remember as a kid, like the music I like, nobody else liked it. But now here, 30, 35 years later, everybody loves it. I think, I think at a certain point, things become mainstream. And, and I think, I think pro wrestling has become a part of the fiber of just the way we do things uh, on a day-to-day basis. Like it's not the, the, you know, the hidden pleasure anymore, or, you know, it's just not the, the stuff where it's like people are ashamed to be a fan or, you know, you're a closet fan. You don't want people to know. I don't think that's the case anymore. It's big business. You You know, know, what's crazy about that though, Dave, you go back to the late nineties, early two thousands, we had more wrestling competition. The ratings on TV were higher. Right. And yet people looked at it as like, ah, it's that little thing that nobody's into. Now the ratings aren't as high, but you got groups like Fox spending 500 million for SmackDown, NBC, A&E, all these groups lining up. And I wonder, did did the mainstream television market and all these groups getting into it change, force people to change and look at it differently? It's, It's a great question. I think it's more about now here in 2022, like TV ratings, they don't mean as much as they did 20, 25, 30 years ago. So I think I think a lot of outlets are looking at hardcore audience. What are the audiences that are going to stay? What are the audience that are going to be loyal? And what are the audience that are going to listen to the most or watch the most content? That's wrestling fans. Yes, it may not be nearly as high as the NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball. But I'll tell you what, pro wrestling fans will watch and listen to everything. And they're loyal. And they're always going to be there. And you don't have to worry about them turning off the channel and watching something else. And I think now in this day and age, that's attractive to big media groups. I think like uh, uh, an outlet like Fox knows that, hey, we have this guaranteed audience on Fridays, no matter what. And you know what? They're going to watch in the moment. They, they're not going to DVR it and watch it a week, two weeks. No, they, they because of the Internet. They're going to need to watch that night. And I think that's the biggest thing. And I think it fits perfectly with the pro wrestling fan. And when you add in the social media part, the YouTube part, I mean, look at YouTube and how big WWE is and they crush everybody. I mean, to your point, the TV ratings may not show that collective audience, but social impact and the ability to play across all these platforms shows that there's a massive audience for it. I'm going to hit you with a couple rapid fire wrestling questions in a second. I wouldn't be doing my part if I didn't, but I do want to get one final thought from you on busted open in most people's eyes. They see the show as a success. Anyone who's listened to, I think anyone I've ever talked to is like, that's a great show. You, you mentioned earlier how you'll see signs on TV. You guys go to broadcast at live events, right? And I'm sure you guys have data that shows that subscribers like it. When did you know the show was a hit? When they called, when uh, three executives called me into their office to say that they were pulling me off of NFL radio and that my job from here on out will be the host of Busted Open. For the longest time, there was a time I wasn't doing it for any pay. Like Doug and I were just doing it because we love to do it. Um, and when that was made, Hey, we're taking this show. You're going to be live 
three hours a day, five days a week. So you're no longer a part of Sirius XM NFL radio. That's when I was like, wow, because I never even imagined that that would ever happen. So once that happened, uh, then, then I knew we were on and that we were going to a completely different place than I ever imagined. And the other thing is actually seeing people with my cardboard fat head <laughs> in, in, in audiences like, you know, it, that that still blows my mind. That so, do that. so let's do a couple of rapid fire questions here. Sure. We'll, we'll go right down that path. Best sign you've ever seen a busted open at a wrestling event. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest here. It, there was a sign I saw at the ECW arena that said, uh, I'm a Mike, the video guy guy. And it's like Mike, the video guy is somebody who videotapes our shows each day and then edits them and puts them on the Sirius XM app. I mention him, I mention him, Jason, maybe once a month on the show, you know, and like the fact that people recognize that and actually made a sign that that completely blew my mind. How does WWE creative change in the next three to six months without Vince? I think already it's changed. I think, uh, it's going to be a big change for the better. I think Triple H at the helm, that's like, for somebody like me, that's a dream. Um, he and, I, and and Jason, and you've heard my rants where I said, you know what, Vince McMahon hates pro wrestling. I stand by that statement. I don't think Vince McMahon ever truly loved pro wrestling. He loved that term sports entertainment. He looked at pro wrestling the way that a lot of mainstream people look at pro <laughs> wrestling. Triple H looks at pro wrestling as an art form. He's said it before. He appreciates it. He respects it. He grew up an NWA fan. Uh, I am very high on the next three to six months with Triple H at the, at the helm of creative. What I loved is the Raw after SummerSlam when they ran the, uh, it was a vignette for the U.S. title going back into the history of the belt. And I went, Man, they they forget their history half the time. I couldn't believe that there was finally something on going, hey, this title has meant something over yes. time, which was cool, you know? And that's all it takes, Jason, is a 60-second a, a vignette showing that. And then that's and now you put that belt over. And they did that on Monday. So with Triple H, you know, stepping up the creative, what do you think Vince McMahon does next? Watches. <laughs> <laughs> For AEW to become a bigger threat to the WWE's empire, they've done a lot of good things since they came on the scene. What do you think has to happen? I, I, I think for them, they, they really need to pace themselves a little bit more. They throw a lot at you in a two-hour show. And I get it. That's exciting. And people do love that. But when you have six things on a show that's important, they become less important. Kind of space it out. Give us... Give us something which is really going to grab us and then put attention on that one thing because it's going to mean a heck of a lot more at the end of the day. I just think they need to just slow down, pace themselves a little bit more, know that it's not a sprint. It is truly a marathon, and they'll be fine. I'll tell you what, if they could just stop putting everybody in a faction, that'd be great too. I love – there's a lot of great talent. Everybody's got to be in some three- to five-person ring, you know, uh, some, some three- to five-person group, and I'm like, guys – these guys don't all need to be together just to get them all on TV. Build a yeah. good story and people will connect to it. You know what? Storytelling, that's the key right there. Yep. 
So that being said, sticking with AEW, when do we see MJF back on TV? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I My guess is going to be all out in September. I feel that's like the best time. That's their biggest show to me of the year, that and Double or Nothing. I would love to see MJF back in September. They miss it, him. If there are, they, the guys must see TV. I mean, it's funny. I, I look at it, uh, the business side of it. I'm like, you signed the contract, get over yourself. You know, you'll make your money down the road. On the other hand, some of his arguments aren't, aren't wrong. You know, the guys must see TV every time he's on. And Jason, really quick, before you get to your next question, one lesson I've learned, and I, I've learned it from doing this show, and it's what MJF was saying, know your worth. Understand what your worth is. And, and then go with it. And that's what he's doing. I think it's going to work out for him in the long run. If there are three main events, uh, main event stars, I should say, capable of selling out a stadium in 2022, who are they? Uh, Roman Reigns, obviously. Um, Seth Rollins is another one. I, 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 can't, I can't begin to describe how great Seth Rollins is in the ring and he's gotten some of the most craziest characters over. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is, and and I think it's going to do it once he comes back and he's healthy is CM Punk. I really think that CM Punk was the right signing for them at the right time. And I think CM Punk and John Moxley is going to be money moving forward. I've got two last ones and then we'll wrap it up. Um, Could a fan like Dave LaGreca ever be trusted by a wrestling company to call the action on live television for one of their flagship shows? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, Jason, uh, doing this as long as I have, the LaGreca is going to come out. Like, it's it, at some point, you know, there's going to be a rant. I, I don't know if I can contain myself for a three-hour show just calling the action. You know what, cra- what drives me nuts, though? Like, if you remember back when ECW was hot, people liked Joey Styles because he was a fan, you know, yeah. it, it, that that connection to the fan was always good. Sometimes I almost feel like and I do think it'll be interesting because I think Cole is very good at what he does, but he's always not had that connection to the fan because he can almost feel too corporate at type. I'm, I'm hoping that he has a chance to be himself a little more, but. That's always the part that I'm like, why don't you guys want someone who actually connects with the audience from that position? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And like, listen, Jimmy Smith, I think, has done a good job on Monday Night Raw, but he's not a fan. He's not. Right. It's not right. in his blood. I, I agree with you. I, I, I think somebody like like a LaGreca would bring a different dynamic to it. Yeah. So last one I've got for you. What is the next decade like for Busted Open? Wow, that's a that's a great question. Uh, just continuing to to evolve and to roll with the changes. The one thing that I've really tried to do, Jason, and I work on it every single day, is understanding the current fan. I grew up old school fan. I, I started watching wrestling forty years ago, but it's not forty years ago anymore. And what mm-hmm. worked forty years ago does not work in two thousand and twenty-two. You have to roll. You have to evolve. It, it, it's true. Evolve or die. So I'm always I, I, I'm always trying to look to get younger on the show to to really kind of be more diverse. I've really tried to like appeal to every pro wrestling fan out there. And and I've been trying to do that, bringing new characters in like a Mickey James, like a Thunder Rosa. There's a huge, beautiful audience. And the more diversity you have, the better your product is going to be. 
listen, the best compliment I can give you, I'm 48. My kid's 20. We both like the show. And so, wow, thank you, you. know, if, if you're hitting, you know, the radio demo of 2554, you're hitting the younger part, which WWE, AEW always want that 18 to 34 to grow. And, you know, you've got uh, people that age paying attention as well as people who've been through it and have watched like you have for 30, 40 years. So continued success with the show. It's a hell of a listen for those folks listening to the podcast. Encourage you to check it out. Bust it open. Weekdays, 9 to noon, also available on Saturday. And uh, give the best to uh, Steve Cohen and the family. Yeah, and Jason, I want to say one thing before you let me go. Like, I want to thank you personally because you have gone out of your way on social media to put the show over um, and and give us awards. And, and like that, I Jason, I can't tell you how much that means to me to get some mainstream appeal and to get some mainstream love. So you've done that for us. So I truly want to thank you because it means it means the world to me. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at Sports Radio PD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.